agree to it. But this is the seventh week. And we're talking about what does it look like for a follower of Jesus? What does it look like for them to walk in this kingdom agenda that, we're, that we've been talking about, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. This has been, if you're wondering, well, what, what do you mean the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God? If you pull, pull this up, Brianna, this has been our definition. The kingdom of God is what it looks like to live life in the presence of God, in the power of God, and under the authority of God. In the Let's break that down really quick. The kingdom of God is what it looks like to live life in the presence of God. The Latin phrase for that is quorum Deo, means to live life in the presence of God or live life to honor and glorify God. It's not just something I do on Sundays. I'm just going to let that lay there for a moment. I, it's not just something I do as long as things are going well. It's not just something I do as long as no one said anything I don't like on Facebook. It is something I live out seven days a week, 24-7. That's living life in the presence of God. And then secondly, the kingdom of God is what it looks like to live life in the power of God. Get, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus... God has made his power available to you 24-7. It's available to you as, not just a case, but Paul, Paul said like this in Romans 11, Christ from the dead, where does it live now? In us. Hey, I don't know about you, it takes a lot of power to raise somebody from the dead. Come on. You know, I'm not talking about a defibrillator where somebody's been dead for a couple of minutes and it shocks them back to life. I'm talking about someone who was dead three days and it brings them back to life. That's power. And he says that lives in us. Then in Ephesians 1, 19, 21, pull this up for me. And I can't, if I can see it on the back screen, that would help me to know what's up. It says this, Paul says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for who? For us. For us who believe in him, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead, seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. What it looks like to live life in God's power. Thirdly, the kingdom of God is what it looks like to live life under the authority of God. That means God's agenda is my priority. Not my agenda. Come on. God's agenda becomes my priority in my life. What God says goes in my life. Well, Kelly, don't, don't my opinions, don't my dreams, uh, my preferences, don't they matter? Absolutely, they do matter. But we have, when we say, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, what we have to understand is this. Everything about us, everything within us has to bow to the authority of God. We surrender those things to God. God's opinion begins to matter most in my life. When I live life in the presence of God, what he says matters most. We're talking about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of agenda. And here's, a, here's what's important if you're taking notes. To live with the kingdom's agenda, you must understand your kingdom identity. It's hard to live for something if you don't know who you are. 
Are you following me? Who am I? Who, who are you? Uh, here, here's the, are, are you what you do? A teacher, carpenter, factory worker, a nurse, stay-at-home mom and dad, coach, a janitor, fast food worker, pastor. Are you what you do? Are you your accomplishments? Honor student, MVP, salesman of the year or month, valedictorian, college graduate, high school graduate, employee of the month, a mom and dad. Are you your accomplishments? Are you the things you've gotten right in life? Are you the things you've gotten wrong in life? Your failures. Is that who you are? Are you what others think you are? I mean, these are questions we got to find out. we got to know. See, if, for instance, who am I? If you were to ask me that question, I could give you a variety of answers. I am Kelly R. Goins. I'm the son of Kenneth Roy Goins and Connie Sharon Goins. I was born and raised in Tennessee. I am American by birth, but I'm Southern by the grace of God. Come on now. All the Yankees. That's all right. I told we were down in, in uh, Birmingham, what was it, a couple weeks ago. And they said, hey, what are you doing here? I said, hey, God sent us on the mission field. He said, people in Alabama need Jesus. So, <laughs> so <laughs> they didn't think it was that funny either, did they? So, but I can say that that's my identity based on family or origin, where the, who I'm related to, where I come from. I'm not going to answer. I'm, I'm Kelly Goins. I'm Denise Goins' husband. I am dad to April, Kennedy, Sheridan, and Zion. I am papa to Eliana, Ezra, Juno, and Sonny. I got my GED, went one semester to college, even though I had a full ride. Uh, went one semester, my highest accomplishment that one semester, I passed racquetball. Um, <laughs> true story. It was great. I still love racquetball to this day. I don't know that I love anything else about college, but I love racquetball. Um, I've written several songs in my life, some that have been recorded by national recording artists. Uh, I, I'm a member of, of the, of the uh, Songwriters Association. I'm the senior pastor of Watts Bar Community Church. Awesome. Those, that's my identity based on my achievements, what I've done in life, things I've accomplished. Who are you? Are you your family origin, the family name that you get? Are you what you do, your accomplishments? Are you the things you've gotten right in life? Are you the things you've gotten wrong in life, your failures? Are you what others think about you? Those are important. Casey. Can you hear me? I don't think you can hear my voice. So um, he led up to this. Is who are you? I'm going to give you a snapshot. A lot of y'all know my story, correct? And if you don't, I'll give you a snapshot. Um, preacher son, I'm the youngest uh, son. Uh, I've got a brother that's 16 years older than me, 13 and 7. So I was probably a mistake. We're going to just go ahead and say that. They always told me I wasn't. I don't believe it for a second. But guys, I always fell into that when I was growing up. As you're the preacher's son, I wouldn't let your daughter date him. He's the preacher's son. He's this. He's that. So you kind of already fell into that rebel. You know, I was a rebel before I even started doing drugs. And then when I started doing drugs, I embraced that identity. Because that's, I just wanted to rebel against everything else that I'd ever heard until I was consumed with that. Then I, I, I got married, I got divorced, 
And then I started burglarizing homes and robbing people. And I did my family so dirty. If, chances are, if you were close to me, I screwed you over worse than anybody else. That's just the facts. That's who I was. Thief, liar, reject, divorced. All those titles, I've got a ring in my mind, guys. Can you... Uh, divorce, liar, all those things. That's who I was. And it's hard to shake those identities. And here's, here's your next fill-in right here. How I identify myself will determine how I live my life. How I identify myself will determine how I live my life. If we define ourselves, if we get our identity by our family name, and I, and I can speak to this right here. I, I'm a goings. Um, by the time, and I, like I said, I'm the youngest. So by the time I came into my formative years as a teenager, Chris and Kelly were already um, well-known ministers. Um, they were pretty, you know, solidified as really godly people. So I had that to live up to, the expectation of my family. Even though I placed that expectation on myself, nobody else did. I felt the need to try to live up to that. And there's no way you can do that. There's no way you're ever going to be able to live up to your family name or anything like that. And even if your background is great, it can, it can leave you feeling like that. If you've got a bad background, guys, it, it, it can leave you feeling the way, like you'll never get away from it. Like if you've got a bad background, if you've got a bad history, if you came from a bad family, you can, might feel like you're trapped and you're never, this is your life. If you're from a small town and that's everything and that's the culture you know, you might think, I'll never escape this. This will be who I am for the rest of my life. Not in a negative way. I'm not saying if you're from a small town, it's bad. I'm talking about those little subcultures we create where it's addiction, it's lying, it's all these things. This is who I will be for the rest of my life. That's how you identify yourself. See, if you define or you get your identity, either, like you said, from your accomplishments, what you've done or achieved, you'll always measure yourself by that. You'll never be able to do enough. You'll never be able to make enough money. You'll never be able to have enough cars. You'll never be able to have enough. If you try to build your identity by what you accomplish, your achievements, you'll never have enough, guys. You'll never have enough. You'll always have to do more, achieve more, be more. That's what I felt like when I was uh, growing up. And even sometimes as I reflect back now, it was almost a subconscious thing. Like, I've got to live up to that where finally I was like, no, there's no way. There's no way I can do that. It's super-duper heavy weight we carry around, whether you're from a good family, a bad family. Whatever your situation is, whatever culture you came from, that's how we identify ourselves, by our accomplishments, where we came from, what our family name is, good or bad. You see, um, HBO did this documentary last year called The Weight of Gold, and it interviews all these former Olympic athletes. If you don't care, go ahead and roll this. In the world, none of us had normal childhoods. I knew it was the biggest stage that I would perform for in my life. For Olympians, that's what defines you. Athletes work their entire lives with this moment. I wanted to do everything I could to be the best skater I could. Everything revolves around the sole focus, and that sole focus is the Olympics. And now the next 30 seconds will dictate our human lives. But after the Olympics, the village doors close and that's kind of it. 
win or lose, I've felt a dramatic emptiness. We're just so lost. A good 80%, maybe more, go through some kind of post-Olympic depression. It's gold and then what? I thought of myself though, just a swimmer and not a human being. That's where I was just like, why don't I just end it all? From the outside, it's like you got everything. Athletes just don't talk about our weaknesses. That just cracks the facade. The mainstream media love building somebody up and then come crashing down. Depression puts you into a spiral. You start getting deeper and deeper into it. He was my best friend. We have to do something. And this is important. Youth around the world watch and look up to these people. I've given my blood, sweat, and tears. And all I'm asking is that someone can help me get through this. We're human. I don't think I have to say anything else. see for an athlete the olympics they define who they are did you see the moment where the guy said when this uh when that we live for that moment well what happens when that moment's up what happens when that moment what you've trained for who you're supposed to be what happens when that's up what happens if you're a musician and that's what you live for and your hand gets hurt what do you live for then your identity becomes wrapped up in these things becomes wrapped up in your achievements and that's a, that's a hard way to live. It's such, so heavy because you live a short life within a life. When those achievements are over, your life's over, and you're just living. You're just getting by. Does that make sense? It creates this void. Here's the truth, guys. The same thing can happen to us as a father. It can happen to us as a musician, a teacher, pastors, caregivers. You see people that care and care for people their whole lives where they're on, death, they're on their deathbed. When that person goes, their identity was wrapped up in taking care of that person. I don't know what else I'll do now that that person's gone. They put their identity in their husband or wife. I'm nothing without them. And I think that's, that's a horrible, hard way to live that you will never be able to maintain. You'll never be able to maintain it. When our identity is based on our accomplishments... It's just going to be exhausting to even try to keep up. Amen. Over the past year or so, we've seen this rise in what is called asserted identity. Asserted identity. It involves things like sex, gender, race, etc. And it says, hey, this is who I want to be known as. I, I want you to relate to me this way. These are the pronouns I want to be known by. Here's what I find very sad and scary about this. is the society we're living in now is placing the weight of that on children that do not have the capacity to define who they are. And we're saying, hey, you, take and run with whatever. That's sad and that's scary to me. I think later what we're going to have is a group of teenagers or young adults that are going to look back and say, why would you allow me to do that? Why didn't you parent me instead of being my friend? I'm telling you, I'm 
tell our people, I tell our young people, I told my kids this, listen, you need to allow God to define you because Casey will tell you this, somebody's waiting to tell you who you are. Somebody's waiting. Asserted identity. How we find their identity determines how we live, how we identify ourselves. Get this, one research show that, that, that we all act or perform and relate to people according to the way we see ourselves. In other words, if we don't like ourselves, it's hard for us to believe anybody else would like us either. What if identity is more than just association? What if identity is more than your family name? What if identity is more than your ethnicity, your gender? What if identity is more than your accomplishments in life? What if identity is actually a gift that God has given us? And we just have failed, we failed to step into the identity he's given us. What if we are not what we think we are? What if we are not what others think we are? What if we're not what we think others think we are? What if we're actually who God says we are? Children of God, daughters of God, sons of God. Would that change the way we see things? Would that change the way we approach our life if we began to see ourselves, not our accomplishments, not anything else, but who God says we are? I think that would change. I think that would be a life changer. I'm just going to keep this up here. He tried to steal one of my best points, man. I'm mad about that. I can't believe you. Not you. That I can't point. believe you, bro. You're not that point. Dude, I think that would be life altering, though. <laughs> I think it would be. See, I think that's why the Bible goes through, and, it, and I hate this. I can't move around and talk like I want to. Take this mic, man. Making me mad. But I think that's why the Bible painstakingly goes through and tells us who we are. It goes through, and if you notice, when God changes a name in the Bible, it's usually prophetically. Like Jacob, who was a liar and a thief, he changed it to Israel, wrestles with God. When God changes your name, that's not who you are anymore. When he goes to the Bible, he painstakingly tries to tell us who you are. You're not that anymore. You might have been that. That might have been what the world told you you were. But I'm telling you, you're something else. You're a child of God. That's it. And when God says it, you best believe it. See, guys, we were born to be royalty. We were created to be royalty. You believe that? I want you, if you're a guy, I want you to say, I'm a king. I'm a king. I didn't believe that. I need to hear it some more. You said, uh, wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. On the count of three. One, two, three. All right, women, I want to hear you out. Do it. Don't say I'm a king. Say I'm a queen. All right. One, two, three. Beat you guys. I know they would. I know they would. But that's why the Bible goes through and painstakingly tries to tell us who we are. Because he knew the enemy would try to deceive, distract, and ultimately dethrone us. And when I say dethrone, that's because we were created to be royalty. Say it again. I'm a king. I'm a, king. I'm a queen. queen. You're royalty. I can promise you that. And, and here's just uh, what the Bible says about that. Romans 8, 17. And he put it on the sky Bible. Thank you. Um, and if we are his children, 
then we are his heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, sharing his spiritual blessing and inheritance, if indeed we share in his suffering, so that we may also share in his glory. The Passion says it like this, and I think it's pretty cool. And since we are his true children, we qualify, listen to that word, qualify, we qualify to share all his treasures, for indeed we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he was. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his suffering as our own. You notice that word qualify. We're the only ones that can unqualify ourselves. Jesus qualified us. Remember, I'm a king. I'm a queen. I'm royalty. But we can say, man, that even when you said I'm a king, it felt weird, didn't it? That's because we latch on to the negative things in our lives. And when somebody, when God or his word tries to speak into us, it sounds hard. I tell Tiffany all the time, she grew up in a hard, hard life, and I tell her all the time how she's my queen. And it's hard for her to hear that. It's hard for her. It's easier for her to grab on to the negative things I, that she'd been told her whole life. But when I speak that positivity, she's like, oh, thank you. And I'm like, don't make me mad. I mean, I'm trying to compliment you. You listen to your king. Submit. All right. See, we're royalty. I love you, bud. We're kings. We're queens. We're joint heirs with God. Do y'all believe that this morning? And if you don't believe that yet, you just hadn't had that experience with God. This is your chance. At the end of this, guys, you're going to get your chance. But we are co-heirs to the king. Co-heirs. That means we rule together. With real, true authority. And I can't stress that enough. Remember, in the presence, in the power and authority. That's the whole theme of this. See, I was addicted to prescription pain pills and chaos for 20 plus years. I think sometimes I was more addicted to chaos than I was to drugs. I don't know why. I can't really quantify why that is. I just wanted to say, I might have been nihilistic. I have no idea, but I just wanted to, like the Joker, I wanted to see the world burn. And I had no idea. I had such hatred inside my heart. I'm a felon. I almost did, I did four years in state penitentiary and jail, if y'all know. Y'all know my story. But God radically changed my life. Radically. 180. I was a lot like the thief on the cross. Y'all remember the thief on the cross in Luke? Remember? Well, let's just go to Luke 23. 40. The criminal hanging on the other cross rebuked the man, saying, Don't you fear, God? You're about to de- die, but we deserve to be condemned. We're just being repaid for what we've done, but this man, he's done nothing wrong. Then he said, I beg of you, Jesus, show me grace and take me with you into your everlasting kingdom. Jesus responded, I promise you, this very day you will enter paradise. I promise you. According to the Bible, I was created to co reign with God, right? I was created. But here's the difference. You see that thief on the cross? I believe him. He wholeheartedly, he said, kingdom. Can I enter in your kingdom with you? And what, when you say kingdom, what's that imply? That he knew that Jesus was a king. He knew it. See, I would like to think that thief probably, you know, he might have gained his theology on the cross in those few hours. But I like to think he probably grew up hearing about Jesus. And he had a casual knowledge about Jesus. He might have had an intellectual knowledge about Jesus. But he had never stood in the great power and authority of Jesus until he was four feet away from him. And it smacked him right in the face. He never knew the authority of Jesus Christ. 
but who were called to be kings. But the difference between that thief is that thief said his prayers. He went to heaven an hour later. When we become royalty, we have to learn how to be royal. We have to learn how to be royal. Royal. I didn't even say that right. Royal? <laughs> royal. We have to learn to be royal. I'm a royal fan. And we have to learn that. That's just not something, like you said, when you said king, when you said queen, it, it sounded weird. So we have to learn to do those things, guys. See, even when I got saved, I had all this accumulated baggage that people had told me I was, that I told myself I was. I had all that. Even after I got saved, it just didn't fall off like that. I had to start taking it off one armor piece at a time, the armor that I accumulated over the years. And I think that's why, and I just got this, thank you, Jesus. Whenever he goes through and talks about the armor, he knows that's why we've been putting on armor our whole lives that the world's gave us. So he says, hey, I'm going to replace that with this. See, guys, I messed up my whole life. I did not believe, even though I'd been saved, man, I didn't feel like royalty. I felt like a royal way, but I didn't feel like royalty. You know what the A is? Aspirin. And there's a question. Do you know the biggest difference between me and the thief on the cross? Because I just didn't know how to live like that, guys. I did not know who I was. And here's the thing, and Kelly ruined my point, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you anyway. If you don't start telling yourself who you are, somebody else will. If you don't start waking up and looking in the mirror and say, this is who I am, this is who God ordained me to be. I'm not abused. I'm not this. I'm not a drug addict. I'm not a, uh, that's not going to be who I am. That's not going to be my identity. I'm not just Stacy Harris's son. I'm Ben Harris. I've got a totally different mission. Because we think of our identity and we always think a negative connotation. It could be something. You're just trying to break away from the shadow of your parents. Guys, God's, God's got so much for you. It says in Romans 6.10, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you, I. Lives in you. Not the partial power. It don't say the partial power lives in you. See, the kingdom of God is what it looks like to live in the presence of God, in the power of God, and under the authority of God. We are royalty with real power. The most well-known royalty in the world is who? Thank you all for your participation. The most, the well-known, the most well-known royalty is who? Wow, guys, thank you. Thank you. It is Queen Elizabeth. Here's what historian and author Stephen Woods said about the monarch in England. Queen Elizabeth II is one of the most famous and admired people on earth. As the nominal leader of the United Kingdom since 1952, making her the country's longest-serving monarch, her influence has felt the world over. But despite the enormous influence, the, uh, despite her enormous influence, the queen holds no real power in British government. Instead, as the monarchy evolved over hundreds of years, her role has become largely symbolic. In other words, in my words, she is the symbol for power, but she wields none. And I think that's why a lot of us Christians are, is we are the symbol for who God is supposed to be, but we don't act like We're just a symbol. We wield no power. And it's sad. 
because that's the way I live. That's the way we are indoctrinated as we grow up. It's just almost like God is a fairy tale. He's just a book on our steps. So why do you believe in him? Why do you believe that? Well, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Actually, no, you're arrogant. God settled it, and that settles it. God said it, and that settles it. You don't have to believe it. God said it. Because we live like we're the symbol with no real power, no real authority. That authority that he gives us covers every facet of our lives. And like Kelly said earlier, that's just not relegated for the church. We need to start inviting God into the other circles of our life. When we get out of here, we need to start inviting him into our kitchens, inviting him into our books club. Hey, if you're going to work on the car, if you're going to your work and to your professional life, you need to invite God there. Too long have we just... Uh, and also, I'll tell you this, men, too long have we let women carry the burden around here. That's been their identity, is them praying. We visited Chris's church, and their uh, person that's over their prayer team is a man. That's very rare. Guys, we need to start praying with our wives. Guys, we need to start praying with each other. We need to start praying for one another. See, we're royalty, man, but we're not sissy royalty. Women, too. We're from, a, we're from the lineage of a warrior, King Jesus. From a warrior, King Jesus. That's who we are. Now, here's three different ways that you can view the kingdom of God. Y'all ready? All right. Intellectually, like I said, that thief on the cross, he probably had an intellectual knowledge of Jesus. That's kind of, I'll tell you, this is one of my biggest faults coming up is I wanted to figure out everything. I wanted to know, and I still, it can get in my way sometimes. I just want to know everything. I, I want to flip it around. I want to know philosophically what it means. I'll get myself into some real trouble like that. You can do it intellectually, like a scholar, a study, try to figure it out. Casually, just drifting through with no real agenda, just attending Sunday school or uh, coming to an occasional uh, prayer group. Or you can approach this like a warrior. If we're going to see the prayer that Jesus prayed come to pass, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We've got to approach our walk with Christ like this. This is how we start relating to the kingdom, like a warrior. Advancing the kingdom, making his agenda our agenda, bringing his culture into our world, inviting him into the little places besides church. This is just where we get our instructions. This is not the church. This is a church building. We take church home with us. If our kids don't know the same person they see here, you're not living like a Christian. They need to see the same culture that's here in your homes. You need to rediscover the power and authority you have. That's what he placed inside of us. We are co-heirs. Say, I'm royal. I'm I'm starting to believe you. I'm starting to believe you. And I found this out. The more you start telling yourself who you are, the more you start believing him. If you start listening, I'm a piece of crap, I'm nothing, that's what you believe. But if you say, man, I am royal, I feel like I can do something today. Man, I feel like I am a king. You're right, Casey, I am a king. I'm feeling kind of royal today, baby. Man, I'm sorry, guys. But we're not any of this. We're not any of this. See, it doesn't matter who we are. It matters who he is in us doesn't matter. It matters what people see in us when they look at us. Do they see God when they talk to us? 
Do they see Jesus when they talk to us? I can answer that for myself. It's not all the time. I'm getting there. I'm at home with my kids a lot of times, and I like to say they probably don't see God 24 hours a day with my two little kids. People are like, you're such a great dad. I'm like, you should be a fly on the wall sometimes. (laughs) But I'm learning. I'm learning, guys. It's not who we are. It's who he is in us. Be gay. Amen. And that was a great point that you made that uh, if we don't start telling ourselves who we are, somebody's going to tell us who we are. I don't know where I got that. That was powerful. (laughs) Powerful stuff. (laughs) It's who he is. So who is God? Because I think a lot of times we just think he's this distant force out in the world that is waiting for us to mess up, waiting for us to blow it. You know, and, and we don't. So, so who is God? Well, when we look at the scripture we've been talking about throughout this kingdom, when Jesus says, hey, you want to know how to pray? This is how you pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what we need to understand is this. God is Father. He is Father. If you'll bring that uh, point up for me. God is Father. Now listen, I, I understand this. Everyone in this room doesn't, didn't have a dad like I did. I had a great dad. I understand when you bring up the, the, the word Father that it can bring up bad feelings. Because there are people that I know personally. In fact, at this youth camp that we just did, uh, I, I met with uh, my pastors under me, Ben, Casey, Austin, and uh, Bob, and was that it? Yeah, I, I can't remember who's there. And I uh, was talking, and I told Ben, I said, you know, uh, Ben, I, I, I really didn't realize until this youth camp the road, the task you really had ahead of you. Because you didn't just lose a lot of your senior members in that 412 youth group. You're not just dealing with middle school kids. Because I, I had them close their eyes and I said, I oh, want you to raise your hand. Who in this room is in foster care right now? Who in here doesn't live with your dad? Who doesn't live with, with one of your parents, period? The numbers were staggering. Numbers were staggering. And that's why I feel like it's really important we understand that when we say God is Father, I'm not talking about your earthly father. So don't think when we relate to God as Father, we're talking about a Father that walked out on you at an early age. We're not talking about a Father that was abusive verbally, sexually, or physically to you. We're not talking about a Father that said, oh, you're nothing like me, or you'll never be like me. We're not. No, we're talking about God, our Father. Father. God's not like an earthly Father. See, there are those of you, and then on the other end, there are those of you that are like me. You, had, you have a great dad, had a great dad. But here's the thing. Whether you're, you had a great dad, even if you had a great dad, they're still prone to fall. They're still prone to mess up and blow it. Every dad falls short. Are you hearing me? Every dad falls short. 
But God is the perfect Father. The second thing you need to understand is not only is God a Father, God is our Father. He created us. He breathed life into us. But not just that. He, he became our Father through what His Son did uh, for us on the cross through the resurrection. Through Jesus, it is now possible that we get to be adopted and become legally His. We, God is our Father. See, I, I, I don't know... I, well, honestly, I don't know any adults that call their dad father. Oh, father. It's something like seeing a British movie. Oh, father. You know, but honestly, I don't see anything, anybody. Most, my kids call me dad. I've got one that designed that calls me pops. Hey, pops. And, and, and I've got those, but I don't really know any that call him father. But Jesus said, call him father. But you need to understand this is not just some slang. The actual word that Jesus says, call him is Abba. Abba. Get this. That was a word used in that time by children. The, the equivalent of that, of that is us saying, Daddy. Daddy. Jesus is telling us to call God come to him like a child would come to his dad I, I don't know any grown men or women that call their father daddy there may be some but I don't know most of them it's not but Jesus says no call him when you approach him Abba daddy and get this this is not a word Jesus used once he loved using this word when referring to his father God in fact he used this expression Abba to refer to God as Father over 200 times in the Bible. Jesus loved it. What is Jesus saying or trying to relay to us as his, as his followers when he says, address him as Abba, address him as Daddy? He's saying, when you pray, stop to remember who it is you're talking to. You're not talking to some disconnected creator out there in the galaxy. You're talking to Daddy, what Jesus is doing here, he's tearing down some stereotypes of God. He's letting them know God isn't some impersonal deity out in space. He's not some tyrant waiting for you to mess up. God is personal, and he wants a personal relationship with you. He created you to have a personal relationship with him. I have three people in this entire world uh, that call me dad, and like I said, one of them calls me pops. When they call and I pick up the phone, they say, hey, Dad, hey, Pops. I don't have to wonder who's calling. Why? Because there's a personal connection that has already been established in that relationship. They, they don't have to go into some spoken word. Hey, hey, Father, this is your eldest daughter. This is your youngest son. No, as soon as they call me. Hey, Dad, hey, Pops. I know because we've got a connection that has already been built. They don't have to try to reestablish the connection with me. Are you hearing me? They know the relationship of dad is there. And whatever they tell me, whatever they need, whatever if they confess something, it all goes down within the context of the relationship that is expressed through one word, dad. 
God is our Father. Thirdly, God is our Father in heaven. What does that mean? My earthly dad was limited. Come on. I, I'm, my kids, I'm sure, would be quick to tell you where I'm limited. But with their limit, he blew it from time to time. In fact, one of my favorite stories that I love to tell about my dad, uh, and my mom hated this story, and I told that at my dad's funeral. So, <laughs> yeah, but, she, but for me, it was my favorite story. My dad was a pastor, and uh, I, I remember I was 16 years old, and uh, me and my friend Robbie Beard, I think I saw him here earlier, uh, had gone camping. And Dad wanted to get this older guy that came to our church with us. He was 22, 23 years old to come and check on us because we did have a tendency to get in trouble. But uh, we were out camping. Well, this guy shows up. I'm not going to say his name in case some of you know him. He shows up and, and starts acting like our dad. Well, we don't have that connection. So we get into argument. The next thing I know, me, a 16-year-old, this 23-year-old man, are rolling around on the ground fighting. And, and, and I'm not bragging, but I'll just say it did not fare well for him. So he gets up, he gets in his car, he drives away. About an hour later, here comes my dad's truck. I was like, oh, great. And dad gets out, he says, what happened, son? I tell him what happened. And he says, okay, you're going to go apologize. I was like, oh, just whip me. Just take the belt off and whip me, Dad. And we get in his truck, and we pull up to this guy's house. He's living with his mom and dad. We pull up. My dad goes to the store. Hey, I almost said his name. He said, hey. He goes, hey, Pastor, how you doing? Well, I'm right behind him. Dad walks in. As soon as I walk in, he says, you see this? And he points to his eye, then hauls off, hits me in front of my dad. I don't know what to do because I've never fought in front of my dad. So I'm just looking, because it, it didn't really, and I'm looking, I'm like, what do I do? And I looked at my dad, and a face, his face was contorting in a way that I had not seen my dad's face contort. He looked at the guy and says, do you know what I could have done to you? And then the next thing I know, my dad is on top of this man. <laughs> and we're in his house. He somehow escapes out from under my dad, runs out the back door, leaves in his car. Me and dad are standing in this house alone. <laughs> it's one of my favorite stories because it told me that day my dad was my dad before he was ever a pastor. That you don't mess with his boy. And, uh, and I remember my dad, we were driving home. My dad said, son, I could tell he felt bad. I got choked up talk last week talking about him. I know what the deal is. And he said, son, that's not the way I should have reacted. What I should have done is let you take him out back and finish what <laughs> you started at the lake. <laughs> My dad was prone to blowing it, though. He was prone to making mistakes. He was prone to old age. He was prone to weakness. He was prone to cancer. He's prone to death. But my daddy in heaven has no limits. He, he has no weaknesses. 
He doesn't have a beginning, and he doesn't definitely doesn't have an end. My daddy in heaven, he is all-powerful. There's nothing that takes him by surprise. There's no problem too small or too big, no challenge or problem too large. He is the almighty. He wasn't voted in, and you definitely cannot vote him out. Come on. He is sovereign. He is the king of the universe. He is the God of angel armies. And he is my daddy. I got good news. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's your daddy too. I love a story I read about Walt Disney's daughter. Wrote this in her bio of her dad. That when she was a little girl, she had no idea who her dad was. Or what he did for that matter. Until she was about six or seven years old, she said, I went to school. Her classmates at school said, hey, Mickey Mouse, Snow White, Magic Kingdom, that's your dad. She said, I went home and looked at my dad and said, Dad, why didn't you tell me you were Walt Disney? That's the way some of us relate to God. I believe there's going to be a day. Why didn't you tell me? You were creator, God Almighty. Why didn't you? And God said, I've told you, I've been right in front of you all along. You just did not recognize it. We want to be part of bringing the culture of heaven to earth. We've got to know and understand our kingdom identity. We're going to wrap this up. Who we are and whose we are. God is our Father in heaven. And lastly, we are God's kids. Jesus said, pray, our Father in heaven. Jesus said to pray that he's well aware of what he's about to go through on the cross. He's well aware of what he's about to go through, that what it's going to make it possible for people like you and I, for people that have no family, for people that are jacked up, people that are nobodies, that nobody wants them in their family. He's about to make it possible for us to be adopted into God's family and us to legally be God's kids. Listen to me, when I say that, I'm not talking some sort of general terms, meaning we've been created by Him. I'm talking when you said yes to Jesus, when you surrendered your life to Him, the adoption papers were signed. We're God's kids. Author David Lomas, in his book, The Truest Thing About You, writes this. If you don't know the truest thing about yourself, you don't know yourself. And that matters. What you believe about yourself determines how you live. We were made for something, something bigger than the little things we seem fated to surround ourselves with. Hmm. We were made for something bigger. You've got to come to a place where you own that I am God's kid. God is my father. I am his. I have been adopted. And you've got to own that you were made for something bigger than the little world you've settled yourself into. Are you hearing me? You were created for something bigger. And here's the thing. God, Kelly, you don't know my past, man. That, that's the reason people identify me like that. I earned those titles. God is even able to redeem your past. Talking about how he redeems our past, and I'm just going to tell a short story. And some of you might have heard it before, but um, in 2008, I was headlong into my addiction. Um, 
not too far away from getting locked up, but uh, my dad was incredibly sick, and you've heard him talk about our dad. And, um, and during that time, he was at home, and the cancer had totally ate his brain up. Totally, he did not even know who we were anymore. So during this time, when I should have been really trying to spend time with my family, I was ate up with addiction. I was a thief. I was a liar. So when my dad was in one of the bedrooms and nobody was looking, I snuck in there and I stole his pain medicine and I stole the money out of his wallet. That's the kind of piece of trash I was. That's who I was. But here's how God redeems you. Let's fast forward to 2019 when... Uh, mom gets real sick. You know, everybody knows Connie Goins here, and if you don't, so that's our mother, uh, another founder of this church. She gets the, she comes home on hospice, and Tiffany and I are getting to take care of her, and uh, she gets to administer pain pills. Well, the hospice person is like, well, who's going to give it to her? And I was like, well, uh, ma'am, I, I, I don't know who's going to. I have a history, so can you keep the key? And she's like, no, we can't. So I was tasked with having to give my mom her pain medicine. The same medicine that had me bound up for so long. That's how God redeems your past. Yeah. He takes it and he just flips it around. He says, Casey, you stole from your dad, but you're going to give to your mom. You're going to be able to take care of your mom. That's how I'm going to flip this for you. So you can look back and you can see I'm not a pillhead. I'm not a screw up. I, I, I'm a nurturer. I'm a giver. I can take care of my mother. That's what God does for people. That's what he does. And that is my story, and that's my experience with who God is. But I still have to remind myself who He is. You know, there's an interesting passage in Matthew 16, um, and I think it starts in 13. Don't worry, it's not on the screen. Um, but the, uh, the people are asking Jesus about, Jesus says, Hey, who, who do they say I am? And the, His disciples say, Well, you know Jesus? Some say you're Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah, and I don't know, it goes through the prophets there. And Jesus says, no, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are Messiah. And he says, great is that knowledge, because that was not given to you by anybody else but God. See, I think this is interesting because Jesus don't say, who are you? He says, who am I? Because he knew if we knew who he was, if we knew the authority he has, if we knew he was the king of our lives, then we would never have to struggle about who we are. Come on. If we knew what kind of Jesus he is, if he, if we are co-heirs with him, if God is our father, and we believe all those things Kelly said about us, he is the prince of peace, well, I need peace in my life, well, I have it because he's my daddy. That's why Jesus asked those questions. And Peter said, you are the Messiah. Because if we know who He is, everything good, everything that we could ever have, everything that's good in this life flows out of who He is. Everything good flows out of who He is. And the sooner we can start taking off that armor, of whoever, those titles that people have told us who we are, and we start picking up the armor of God and who He says you are, the quicker you're going to start getting it. The quicker you're starting to go, you're going to start seeing the fruit of that in your life. And I'm not sitting up here like I got it all together. God knows I don't. But I've seen, it's a process. He doesn't demand immediate perfection or even perfection at all. Even if you're falling forward, move forward. Even if you're falling forward. Because you serve an almighty God. Not only serve Him, you're co-heirs with Him. 
That's what we lose, guys. I think we lose that. And that's why it it can become like a fairy tale. We don't experience the power. Guys, and if we do experience, we forget about it. I remind myself every day. I look back. I can't help but look back at the wreckage of my life and see God directing traffic. I can't help but do it. He's like, get this out of the way. That is my child. That is my co-heir. He is going to rule with me. Can't say that. Got it screwed up. (laughs) Guys, it's pivotal that we get this. It's not who we are. It's who he is in us. And we need to start asking the question, not who we are. Who are you? Who are you, God? What does the scripture say you are? Because whoever you are, that's who I am. Amen. Pastor Kelly. I love what you just said. I look back on the wreckage of my life and see God directing traffic. Paul says this in Galatians 3.28, and I, we're going to close a different way. I've still got a lot of scripture, but God, I believe God says no, no. But here's what he said about God's kingdom. Bring that up, Galatians 3.28 for me. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know what Paul's saying here? He's saying that because of Jesus, your primary identity doesn't come from your history. Your primary identity doesn't come from your past, your family, your career, your achievements, your religious performance. Your primary identity doesn't come through your your ethnicity, your culture, your social status. Your sexual preference, your popularity, your gender. Your identity doesn't come from a pronoun. Your primary identity comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. You've heard me say this. I believe this culture right now is in one of the biggest identity crises this nation has ever faced. Kids are begging, tell me who I am. Church, because we've been silent about telling them who they are, somebody else has stepped in and began to tell them who they are. You're a they. You're an it. You're gay. You're a dyke. You're a fag. Come on. You're black. You're Mexican. You're white. You're mixed. Yeah. You're Republican. You're a Democrat. And we get our we get our identity by these things instead of getting instead of God. Who do you say I am? Because I'm getting so many voices screaming at me, telling me who I am. But who do you say I am? And I believe Casey's right. He said, well, it's going to hinge on who you think I am.
because if you only see me as one in, one of many options in this world, if you only see me, the God of the universe, God the Father, God the Father, if you only see me as one of many ways for peace, then it doesn't matter if I tell you who you are. But if you will see me as the only, the one and only true God, God is Father. God is your Father. God is Father in heaven. And if you see yourself as one of them, then I can death. Then you won't, I won't have to tell you who you are. You'll see it. Stand with me across this room.